The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Eat Sleep List, your home for uh, list making stuff and things right here on the network at BICBP-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, your host. Another list underway. Happy Friday to you all. Hope you are doing well. Uh, we are rocking and rolling. I've had no trouble finding guests this season, which I'm very, very happy about. Uh, we're doing very, very well in getting guests. We've got a lot of fun, different, unique topics. Um, I think we, did, we I think you're officially the champion, uh, Andrew, when it comes to being on the show. I think you have a uh, I think you have a one or two episode lead ahead of Chris. It's like you. I think it's you, Chris, then Brian. It's like Ric Flair says to be the man. You got to beat the man <laughs> right now. I'm the man, baby. Woo. You are. You are the man. You are the man right now. Um, <laughs> so we have, uh, you know, me and Andrew, uh, we, we, I was looking for like, there's a list of topics that I wanted to cover. And Andrew um, put it out to the world, put it out to Facebook. Hey, who wants to do these? I think five, the last five people who I had scheduled to do them all, all canceled, like in a row. Um, and I know, so Andrew's the first one in the, in the face, in the list that I put out to Facebook and who wants to be on the episode, um, who was actually going to be honored, uh, who's going to be honoring his commitment so far. It's at no fault of the others. It's just things happen. Um, things happen. It is what it is, but, uh, but yeah, so we're going to do a fun one. Myself and Andrew have been in this podcast game for a decent amount of time. I've been in it for about three years. Uh, three and a half years at this point, Andrew is relatively, what are you going on? Like a year, you're yeah. in a year and a half, year and a half, year and a half or so. Coach, you know, yeah. A you know, hundred episodes. That's awesome. That is a good feeling. That is a good feeling. Uh, you know, you, you've been around for a hot minute. You've been around for a little while. So, uh, and we go through this podcasting is like this, this cool opportunity to express yourself, excuse me, express yourself and meet new people and talk with new people and all this sort of thing. So we put, we had this idea and Andrew was the perfect one to do it. Of We got to pick top 10 people who we'd like to interview. We did myself and Andrew. That's what we did today for this episode is we picked 10 people who we'd love to interview, um, chat with alive or dead, alive or deceased. Uh, I don't know if I have any deceased people though. I do. Okay. I don't think I do, but you know, it would just be cool. Like these are like bucket list things, like goals for ourselves. And you know, we may have other podcasters listening out there or may have just people in general who would love to just sit and chat with, with, you know, 10, 10 celebrities or 10 famous people or whatever the heck it might be. Um, You might have those people in, you know, in mind in your life. And that's kind of what we're doing here to this day. So I want you the listener um, to pick, you know, it, as you're following along with us, 10 people 
who you uh, would like to sit down and have a chat with. And in our case, myself and Andrew, it's more so on the podcast end, but yeah, but, but yeah, it, it, the, the idea, the concept is all the same. So, uh, so I, I guess, wanna, oh, go ahead. Just want to say there's nothing wrong talking with a podcast, even though you're only listening, we can still feel your presence, like presence, like the force. We can oh, yeah. still, <laughs> we can, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. Uh, we certainly can. So, uh, yeah. So just, yeah, don't be, you know, chime in. We want to hear your stuff. Of course, the more feedback we get, the better. Uh, but yeah, so myself and Andrew about to do a top 10 list of people we want to interview. All right. So Andrew, you are the guest. What, uh, let's get right into this thing. All right. Uh, who is your number 10 celebrity, famous person, whatever it may be, uh, that you would love to interview, uh, for a podcast or just interview in general. This is so weird (laughs) because he's an author. I've never read any of his books. I can't even tell you really any of the names of his books without looking it up, but he's an author by the name of, I believe I'm saying his name, right? Chuck Klosterman. And what, what makes me want to interview him. And I've even reached out to try and interview him for the two point conversation is his passion for football and the way that he talks about players. It just seems like it lines up with uh, the two-point conversation way. Right. Uh, He did, he was in the 30 for 30, you don't know, Bo. Uh, 2010, when the NFL released their top 100 greatest players of all time, the way that he talked about OJ Simpson was I I want to say poetic where we and he kind of talks about like what we do. Everybody looks at what the guy did off the field, but not as magnificent. And I'm not saying anything like, oh, my goodness, forget about this stuff. Right. What he did on the field and the way that he talks about it is just so so great he talked about roger stallback in a great light as well and he just like i said i don't know any of his books i don't even know what they're about but to sit down with another person i feel kind of like when we talk and stuff like that and other people to sit down with a person that has the passion for the game of football and i don't even know if i would talk to him about his books but to <laughs> sit down and talk to him about his passion with football because i just feel like every time he's on i get energized listening to him talk so chuck klosterman is my number 10 even though it wouldn't be be anything about his job i just think it'd be fun to talk to him he might actually appreciate the football talk too he probably would he probably would i think when it comes to a lot of celebrities and stuff they get interviewed so many times uh, like about their work all the time. And some of them are like, yeah, that's cool. You know, some of them just take pride in that. They love the attention, but other people just want to like have normal conversations with people. So I think, I think somebody like that would, you know, appreciate this. Uh, does he, he, does he write football books or is it other stuff? Is it, I don't even know. <laughs> you have no idea. I think it's a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm not even 100% sure, Okay, but I just know when I see him on NFL network and certain sports documentaries where he talks about players and he just puts such a wonderful light on him. Right. 
I, I guess one of his books names are Sucks, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Oh, that's right up my alley. I'll <laughs> uh, give a shout out to a couple of his Downtown Owl, The Visible Man, but what if we're all wrong? Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's not like fictional books. Maybe. Uh, it probably a little mix of everything. Nonfiction. Looks like some nonfiction okay. essay collections, stuff like that. Gotcha. And the, the shocking thing is, he was born in Minnesota in 1972, and he's a Cowboys fan. Oh, interesting. Must yeah. really love that Herschel Walker trade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. That's a good way to kick this off. I like authors. I like uh, mixing it up a little bit. So a lot of people just like to get, you know, they get these lists and, you know, they want they, straight for the straight for the sports. And I get, you know, just straight for the sports or something else. Nobody, nobody has to interview author, authors anymore. Like it's one of those weird, just weird just things. And I think that's really cool that you, uh, you brought that up. My number 10. All right, man, I have a huge, huge, huge crush on this woman. <laughs> she does sports talk, though. She does sports talk. Huge, huge crush. Uh, her name is Kay Adams. All right. She is on Good Morning Football. She has a football like mine. Uh, can't say enough how attracted I am to her. Um, but. Again, just to, in in the in the, the the mindset of just talking football, uh, I actually reached out to her. I tried to reach out to her on Twitter, and it just didn't work out. But um, you know, I think because listen, the sports industry is in, is is dominated by men. There's a lot of it's a lot of guy thing, and I'm not like one of those people who are like, you know, gotta gotta mix it up, gotta mix it up. But I think it's really cool when a you know when when like a woman takes a vested interest in, in sports. I really, truly do. Uh, I, I, you know, just to have a, a sit down rational conversation it is inspiring. Cause right. The more people that, the more, um, you know, when it comes to sports talk, of course, the more women that get in the field, the, the more doors it opens for, for females down the road. So I'd always like, you know, I've always wanted to sit and just have a conversation with a, a like-minded, you know, uh, woman when it comes to when it comes to sports when it comes to football and honestly like the, her show the show she's a part of good morning football is one of my favorite sports they're just sports talk shows in general but football talks uh, period because i i drew a lot of influence in my two-point conversation uh podcast i drew a lot of influence from them because they are fun they don't sit there they don't yell at each other they sit there they, they smile they laugh they have a good time they all have very good opinions. They all listen to each other. And I draw a lot of influence from that. And Kay Adams is a big part of that. Kay Adams was, is, a, is a huge aspect of all that. That keeps it fun. So I'm going to I'm gonna put Kay Adams as my number 10 uh, person that I would love, love, love to interview someday. And I love the, the aspect that you mentioned that they don't yell at each other. Because I've actually stopped watching. Oh, it's terrible. It's- a lot of people. Because all it is, is I feel crazy hot takes and just it's, it's like it's it's the equivalent of a clickbait article nick wright Stephen a smith skip bayless all these guys they just yell at each other about something that they really have nothing to do with but they get attention they draw money and 
whatever people buy into it, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not, that's not my thing. <laughs> Let's just say that. I think a lot of sports media is going the way of Jerry Springer where they just want that shock value. Yep. It is. It's how journalism's going today. It's how everything's going to this day today. It's horrible. And it's not a, uh, it's not a good road. It's not the road you want to go down. So, um, so, all right. So that is my number 10. What do you got at number nine? I would like to interview the McDonald's brothers. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. Was it I would, Roy and Mac? Yeah, I do believe so. I would really like to interview them. Uh, I have a kind of a fascination with business. Right. And even though their business got taken over uh, by Ray, 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 Ray Kroc, it was yeah. Richard, and yeah. Mor- Richard and Maurice McDonald. Richard and Maurice. Okay, that's what it was. That's what it was. But the ultimate idea concept of McDonald's and fast food started with these two gentlemen. And I would, and I don't know if movies exaggerate things. Well, movies do exaggerate things, but I would really like to know, you know, how long did they, if they did do that, how long did they spend on that tennis court perfecting the movement, the system? I mean, we talk about sports. They said that was real. They did say that. I did look it up. They did say that was a real thing. You did a lot of research because you did an episode of McDonald's for Retro Pop, right? I did. I yeah, and I, I watched the I watched the movie The Founder dozens of times. I think it's a great movie. I watch it up until Ray Kroc starts to win, and then oh. I shut it off. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It, that that part's hard to take, you know, to to deal with. But yeah, I mean, listen, listeners, it what he's talking. It's actually like, it, that aspect was was over exaggerated, but the the basis. The, the simple aspect of it, the, 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 you know, the, the premise of it was kind of, was, yeah. was pretty real, but everything was very cordial when they, when they sold it off, but. I mean, simplifying the menu when right. they talked about that in there is simplifying it saying what sells, what doesn't sell, what are we wasting our money on? How can we maximize profits? You got to think about, they were like genius in the business world for doing that. Yeah. And just being able to just grab a bag and say, here's your burger, here's your fries, and here's your Coke. Do-do-do. You're out the window. McDonald's is McDonald's doesn't even today look that fast as it was, as it looked in the movie or back then. No, well, their menu wasn't as big, too. That's that's the big yeah. thing. That's the fortunate thing. It was literally just cheeseburger, hamburger, fries, shake, and that was their that was it. They didn't do anything crazy. Like when when Ray Kroc and you know took eventually took over, well. That took over when he was kind of a partner, um, and he starts experimenting with stuff like like the powdered milkshakes and um, and all that jazz. It's like it's it, it's pretty crazy how much you open up their menu and how much like they took over. It's a really cool story. But I would like to definitely inter- interview the McDonald's brothers if they were alive today. You know, you could say, well, what did they do in business? They got their business taken away from them, overturned. Um, but I still say there's so much to learn from them. And they, Ray Kroc stole it, but they made fast food what it is today. Yeah. Booming business. It was just one little place, I think, what, out in California? Yeah. Was it California? Yeah, I think it was out in California. Just one little place, then it just sprouted up to they're like, 
on every other corner. <laughs> There's at least two in every like, at least two in every decent sized city or town. It's crazy. I was just driving home from Brian's house the other day. Um, we did a bonfire and, and within three minutes, I passed two McDonald's all in the same town. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's wonder how they do so well, but they do. They certainly do. But it, see, you were all nervous. You're like, oh, I don't like my list. That's a cool. That's a cool topic. I didn't know how you would feel about it. I mean, there's I got some other interesting ones coming on. Yeah, but that's a really cool one. That's, I love talking about that stuff. Um, very good. I like that at number nine. My number nine is the first of. I guess a couple actors. I guess I got a couple actors. Uh, for those who don't know, I am a huge Star Wars buff. Huge Star Wars buff. I hated the new trilogy, but um, hated the new trilogy, the the sequel trilogy. But my era was the prequel trilogy. And uh, there's one actor who I like. I just adored his performance, uh, and that's Hayden Christensen, who played Anakin Skywalker in the prequel trilogy, and is also going to be coming back for uh, the new Obi Wan show. Uh, but yeah, I think Hayden Christensen would be a would be a really good one. I tend to lean towards people who like others don't like, and I don't know why. I really truly can't fathom why Hayden Christensen gets such a bad rap. Gets the bad rap that he does, but I thought he was great, and I can I could see the brilliance of his performance. Uh, a lot of good memories. I can rewatch all his scenes, all his dialogue, all that stuff over and over and over again. And this is a guy who was on top of the world in 2005 when, you know, after Star Wars came out and then it fit like it fizzled. It, it fizzled out as quickly as it as you know, his star rose. I think he did a movie called Jumper and maybe a couple other ones. And he was out of Hollywood because he just couldn't handle uh, Star Wars fans, I think, to an extent. But now after the prequel trilogy, uh, he's <laughs> yeah, I guess people have been yearning for him to, to make a return, which is completely fine in my book. But I'd like to just sit down and chat with him and just I want to I would like to hear his perspectives of, uh, you know, his perspectives of his character, developing it, going through it, building up to try and be Darth Vader, dealing with the fan criticism. I would really like to pick his brain about that sort of stuff. I, I think Hayden's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know why I never understood the hate. Like, I'll have conversations with people all the time including some of my co-hosts and some of my shows, and they just cannot stand Hayden Christensen. I'm like, yo, one, he did the best with the lines that he was given. And two, uh, if you look at the psychology of uh, the way that Anakin Skywalker was portrayed in, uh, you know, in the prequel trilogy leading up to be Darth Vader, it's actually very, very, very masterful. So Hayden Christensen is my number nine. I got to agree with you. It's a bad rap. I was not a biggest fan. Uh, thanks to Star Wars Theory, uh, really kind of helped me out understanding the character better. I think I wouldn't say I was around, but I was a more of an original trilogy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Original trilogy, and Darth Vader is this dark, imposing force, and now he is this <clears throat> whiny kid. But I think that all goes into the pain underneath Vader as well. Yep. If you got to think about it, it's almost child star esque with the whole Anakin thing, where 
didn't have a whole lot of time to grow up when you're supposedly the chosen one to right bring balance to the force and so you don't got time for things and you get still childish i don't want to yeah no you are right yeah we won't turn this into a whole star wars episode but uh but you're right i mean could you imagine when with all that pressure you're supposed to be this you're supposed to be that at mm -hmm. 20 something years old and people still don't like you people still treat you like crap you know they they boost you up they, they blow your head up they fill it with with delusions of grandeur sometimes and they just they don't trust you they openly hate you because you are you because you are you know supposedly this this legend in the making i don't blame anakin for what he did <laughs> i really don't i mean i hate that you know if you look at from a storyline context the the manipulation was um stunk but i don't blame him for being like you know what screw y'all jedi you all all i do is do good and and all you do is just talk crap about me and say bad things and this and that and this and that Uh, anakin i you know people say thanos was right anakin was right to an extent i think we could do uh minus the younglings i think i think we could do a let's talk with no politics episode on us just explaining to people how wonderful Anakin is. Oh my God. So, uh, I would love that. Like we just break down the psychology of, of Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. I'm going to put it on. I'll put it on the books. Please do. <laughs> I would love to just have an entire episode dedicated to that. But Hayden, my number nine, shout out to you. Very excited to see you in the new Obi-Wan series. So my number eight's interesting. I, I was in the Marine Corps and kind of like sports figures, most Marines have like a Marine hero that was a legend. And my guy is none other than Chesty Puller or Lewis Chesty Puller. Uh, the guy was a nutball. If, if you look at him from outside from a Marine standpoint, his awards are absolutely amazing. Five Navy crosses. Distinguished Service Cross, if you know if you know what any of these are, Silver Stars, yeah, uh, you know Purple Hearts, everything else. He was just a hard man. Um, Wait, to say that again? He, he, okay, it. he was a he was a hardcore guy. Okay, <laughs> he was he was a hardcore. Just genius. I know I'm the worst. I'm running out four hours of sleep, buddy. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, make my make my my guy here, Chesty <laughs> Puller, looking looking bad. Uh some great some great quotes are you know he, they were surrounded and he said we're surrounded and all he said was well that simplifies our problem. You know things like that. His disdain for the uh, Air Force. As somebody asked him how the Air Force was doing, I do believe during the Korean War, and he said they do a fine job of delivering the mail. But <laughs> he was just that he was that kind of guy. The Army had Patton. We had cool Chesty Puller, who is just a crazy, crazy guy. I never and heard that's, of Chesty Puller. Oh, cool he's name. the best. He's the best. Lewis Chesty Puller. I always said if I had an English Bulldog, Number one name would be Chesty. You should do it anyways. Just just grab a dog and just name him Chesty. Just um, Chesty. 
<laughs> All right. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, he was in the HBO miniseries The Pacific. I've never seen that, but he, you know, the character of him was in there. And World War II, Korean War, awesome guy. Cannot forget about Lieutenant General Justy Polar. No, that's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, all right. So my number eight, I know I said no politics. Uh, I wasn't going to pick any politicians, but I do have a very fun one who has dabbled in the world of, uh, has dabbled in the world of pro wrestling uh, and, poli- and politics. I'm talking about Jesse, the body Ventura. Uh, Jesse's one of those people who I enjoy listening to quite a bit. Uh, he's very well-spoken. He's very well-spoken. He is a, uh, right. He's Navy. Yep. Petty officer, Navy. third class, of the United States Navy between 1969 and 1970. I think after he got out, uh, you know, really the whole wrestling thing, he's always been very forward thinking in it. He was, I don't know if he was one of the first, but he tried to like unionize wrestlers. And, uh, I know there's always mixed theory about unions and stuff, but man, pro wrestling could use a organized body to take care of the, re- the to, to take care of the wrestlers. Um, they certainly could use that with how the wrestling business has treated a lot of its uh, wrestlers in the past. Jesse is really interesting to uh, make that pop up. Uh, Jesse's really interesting to listen to. I think he's again, very well-spoken, very, I don't want to say open-minded, but I do appreciate conspiracy, a, a good conspiracy theory every now and then. And, uh, and Jesse has had quite a few that, that some of them have panned out to be true. Uh, to my understanding, but Jesse's like, I like listening to people. I feel like him and Joe Rogan would have a very good conversation for a podcast. I I would love to, I'd probably just sit there. I'd probably just sit there and talk and, or sit there and listen uh, to him talk. And I'd be perfectly okay with it. I'd be perfectly okay with it. I think that's the kind of, the kind of guy that Jesse is. Um, Again, you just such a, I mean, even just the wrestler aspect of it, what a personality. Right. What an over the top personality. He was flamboyant, you know, like Hulk Hogan and a lot of these other wrestlers, Macho Man. They all drew a lot of influence from what Jesse the Body Ventura did during his time as an active wrestler. And, uh, you know, and just he's just a smart man that I I would love to pick his brain about certain things. I know I'm not the most, you know, again, I hate politics, but conspiracy theory, more so conspiracy theories and stuff like that. That's probably what I'd love to uh, to discuss with him. I oddly enough, <clears throat> excuse me, oddly enough, when I think of Jesse Ventura, it goes right to wrestling, not so much the politics. Right. Because yeah, I, I didn't was, see him in the wrestling era. That's that's the difference. Yeah. Well, he was my my voice. You know, people, you're probably more Jr. and King. You know. And oh heck yeah, Jerry Waller. I was Ventura in Gorilla Monsoon or Ventura and Vince McMahon or Heenan and Gorilla, Mons- and Gorilla Monsoon. Those are my guys. And Jesse, Jesse, yeah, I still call him Jesse, the body Ventura. You yeah. know, I think he refers to himself as the mind now. He was always that cool guy. Didn't understand why he didn't wrestle, but I guess he got injured. So he, he couldn't wrestle anymore. But I think unionizing wrestlers would be a great idea because you see what DDP has been doing with these guys that oh, are down them out. out. Yeah, picking them back yeah. up. 
Can you imagine, like, if these guys had health, like, actual health insurance and stuff oh, like that? Me? You know, uh, they're on the road 200, 300 days a year. It's it's like, I, I, I can't believe, like, I'm sick to my stomach that I, you know, that I was a part of that, that I wanted to be bigger than what I, you know, what I did in my time in pro wrestling. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think it was a great idea. And him and Hulk Hogan, like butted heads about it. It was one of those things, but yeah, Jesse Ventura would be, uh, would be my number eight. All right. Well, sticking with in the wrestling realm, my number seven is my favorite wrestler of all time. Mr. Chris Jericho. Uh, I can't think of another wrestler that has reinvented himself, but still has stayed true to himself numerous times. Yep. It's, uh, it's always a different reinvention, but you still get that classic Chris Jericho in there when everybody else was watching WCW. Cause they wanted to see what the MWO was going to do or Goldberg. I wanted Jericho. I wanted more and more Jericho all the time. He has definitely become, like I said, my favorite wrestler of all time, but I would love to just sit down and talk with him about every reinvention. Why did he start to switch? Plus two, the other crazy thing is he's reinvented himself so many times, but if you look at WWE, he's never changed his entrance theme. It's always been the same one. Yeah. Just, just again, just, twisted it evolved it a little bit yeah the intro is a little different um yeah chris is masterful he's an all-time great but nobody wants to like nobody says it because he's not rick flair he's not hulk hogan he's not stone cold the rock he's chris jericho he's like his longevity is uh his longevity is phenomenal he's always been a very safe wrestler he's never done anything too i mean i guess too crazy um, but yeah, Chris is a, Chris is a fantastic guy to you know, want to interview. He does have his own podcast, uh, talk is Jericho, which gets a lot of interviews, wrestlers amongst, um, other people. Jericho is a good dude. I actually wrote an article about him a couple years ago when I tried to get into article writing for Harley K Fabe and, uh, and he retweeted it. He retweeted it. Like he, really? he did. He it was he really, just, he just didn't have, he didn't have to, but he did. It was amazing. He seems like such an awesome guy. Yeah. Just like I said, for I look back and at every wrestler that I ever enjoyed, they're so big name. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about the one guy that you never I think about the one guy that you kind of that I never was like, uh, I don't think he's like my favorite anymore. He's getting kind of stupid. And it's always been Chris Jericho. It's right. just always been Jericho, 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 just learning how to reinvent, stay fresh, but stay true to yourself. I think it's the number one thing I would want to get out of the interview <clears throat> because even in podcasting, you still want to kind of reinvent things, do things different, but you want to stay true to what your core values are and who you are always. And I think that is a good lesson that I can learn from him. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. Yeah, Chris has always done it his way. He's always done it his way. Great, great, great promo. Great body of in-ring work. And, uh, I mean, just literally fantastic body of work inside of a wrestling ring. But, I mean, he has a great, I mean, his work ethic, I think, is has to be admired, too. When you're a rock star and a pro wrestler and a family guy, like, 
you know, he's always been able to put food on the table for his family. Like that's never, ever, ever been an issue from what I understand. He's just worked hard. I mean, he's been doing this since like 1990, right? When he started training, I think he was like teaming up with Lance Storm in Calgary, you know, uh, up in Calgary. He's doing Mexico tours. Like he's been doing this for over like 30 years straight consecutively. Uh, Never any really major injuries. I think Jericho's actually been one of the healthiest wrestlers of all time. The only time he's really taken breaks was a burnout. And even yeah. if he's when he's not wrestling again, he's doing something uh, for his brand. He's either doing commentary or he's doing concerts with his band. Fozzie love Jericho, love, love, love Jericho and what he brings to the table. So that's a fantastic, fantastic person to want to interview. Uh, my number seven, my number seven, I was influenced by this guy at a very, very young age. All right. This is the. Only comedian on this list. Well, yeah, stand-up comic on this list. The name Chappelle. Oh, Ooh. my God. I flipping love Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I love Dave Chappelle. <laughs> you so talk about a, a hard worker right there. Oh, my God. And standing up for what you believe in. Yes. Right? I love Dave Chappelle's story. His, uh, I mean, rags to riches, back to rags, and then back to riches again. I'm so glad that I lived to see Dave Chappelle at his height, Dave Chappelle at his lowest, and Dave Chappelle coming back and being more popular than ever. I love that I lived to see that. All right. I grew up on the Chappelle show. Grew up on the Chappelle, well, sort of. It came out, I think, like 2003, 2004. I was super sad when season three came and he wasn't there anymore. I didn't understand it at the time, but he's done, uh, like, he disappeared for a good decade. Decade and a half. Started coming back, started making appearances, started talking about his life and, uh, you know, what happened with that deal. And it's like, it made me appreciate being an artist, I think, even more. Because, listen, this guy, very young, he has you know they're throwing all sorts of money at him and he's just like you know what i don't want to do this anymore and now he you know if i don't think and we've talked he's talked about this if he didn't do that i don't know if he'd be as popular i don't think he'd be the legend that he is today if he didn't walk away from that Chappelle show like deal so yeah dave uh, Chappelle is he would be great because he's like i said he works so hard and I love it how he makes fun of how hard he works, but then other people get things like when he's talking and the most recent one about Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart, he's big, but in my mind, he's not probably because of how much I love Dave Chappelle too. Right. And he talked about when his son went to go, was like, oh, yeah. was talking to Kevin Hart <laughs> and he's like, are you guys hungry? We haven't eaten all day. Boy, talking about you know things like that or i love the one where he's where he looks back on Chappelle show himself at 18 himself at 25 and then himself at 30 right oh yeah yeah, yeah. and it's so different on each one and he's like so at 18 he's like at the end of everything he's like trying to be so poetic and intelligent the 25 is just him 
you know, rolling down a window, a bunch of smoke comes out, and he just says, hey, 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 smoke weed every day. And then at 31, he's, like, talking to his son, and, he's, and his son's like, I love Nick Cannon, and stuff like that. And he's like, man, F Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon ain't going to buy your school clothes, is he? <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is that, that is true. Yeah, I, I, oh, man, I can't say enough bad things about, or I can't say enough good things about uh, what Dave Chappelle what the, what Dave Chappelle is, man. I like his style of stand-up comedy. I think if you're really good at stand-up comedy, you can take reality and make like you can make people think. Yeah. Right. George Carlin was fantastic at bringing real life stuff, making people think and using it for comedy material. Carlin was a legend at it. And Dave Chappelle, I think has done a really nice job of doing that too. He's done a good job. He's an equal opportunity in Salter. He makes fun of everybody. He don't care what you look like. You don't care what you've done. He will, he will bury you. And he's brutally honest. He's brutally honest. Like a lot of people don't like to hear it. Like sometimes if somebody else tells you these things that Dave Chappelle uses for his comedy material, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. But for some reason, what Dave Chappelle does, it, it just makes sense. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, he's right. He's actually very right. So. Yeah, Dave Chappelle, hands down, easily. Um, man, I, I'd love to see him do a stand. I'd love to see him do stand up. Anything he does, anything that makes the internet, I try and watch any interviews or anything like that. He did a sit down with David Letterman, I think, last year with COVID. And uh, it was a really good, really well done interview. He's done Rogan a couple times. Uh, Chappelle's fantastic. He's done a very good job. Uh, you know, standing up for himself, but still being that hardworking artist that he is today. Love Dave Chappelle. Yeah. My number six is kind of sticking into a business sports world type thing. It's Mark Cuban. Oh, I always that's a good fascinated, one. Fascinated by Mark Cuban. Here's another rags to riches story. I love listening to him talk about how when he was looking for a business school, he looked at like the top 10 business yeah. schools in America. And then he just went for the cheapest one because <laughs> he, he wanted to go to the best one, but he knew he couldn't afford it. Talks about uh, selling garbage bags door to door. Now he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Very influential guy in, in, in sports and business. Yeah. Very influential. He made a couple of WWE appearances back in the day. I remember he made it. Survivor Did Series. It? Yeah. Survivor Series. A couple like, a couple years ago, but like 2003 Survivor Series, he made an appearance. He came out and did a thing, and it was really, it was just really cool. He's he's one of those really good owners that um that you know it's, he's like I'm not gonna say he's Jerry Jones esque, but he's up there with one of those is one of those well known. Um, you could put a a face to the name kind of owners. Yeah, I think he's what makes him so great is that he goes down courtside and stuff like that and he sits with the fans and he mingles with the fans yeah and i think that's what a lot of people need is you don't i know i don't want an owner that just sits in the box and does that i want an owner that's going to cheer on my team that's not only is he in it for the financial investment i feel mark cuban is but he's also in to watch the team succeed because there's been bad owners where as long as there's ticket sales, 
they don't they really don't care how the team does. But Mark Cuban wants this team to do great, and he wants to be successful, and he wants both in there. And some owners are not like that. As long as the money's coming in, do they really care what they're spending money on? Right. No, that's true. He's actually—I think he's got a good, good heart to him too, which a lot of billionaires, a lot of big-time people don't have. Um, I watched this clip of uh, him on Shark Tank one time. He's one of the hosts of that, right? I think it's called Shark Tank, yeah. where people propose stuff, business ideas. And I'm ninety percent sure. I'm like ninety percent sure it was him. Somebody came through with like some some farmer guy, some inexpensive like uh, way, and a, a couple. I think I'm like I said, I'm ninety percent sure it's him. Um, the frost dome. Yes, yes. Yeah. So th- was that him? Was it him? Who was like, you know what? I'll invest in it. I do believe so. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're ninety percent sure, but he like he's like, you know what? I'll I'll do it. And he's just he's just got a good heart, and a lot of guys don't have that when they make a lot of money. They change. They they're very protective of stuff. It's money, money, money. Not uh, let's make the world a better place. So um, so yeah. That's a that's a fantastic one. I love I love the idea of Mark Cuban being an interview guy. I still believe he still owns the Guinness Book of, Guinness Book of World Records for the biggest internet purchase ever when he bought a private plane off like eBay or something like that. Oh really? Yeah. This <laughs> is kind of funny that that's his big world record right there. Oh, I'd say so. That's pretty cool. I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, all right. Number six for myself. All right. He's, he's, he's funny. He's a funny dude. And uh, I've only caught wind of him in recent years because of his roles in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, of course, Parks and Rec and several other films. I'm talking about the Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt's probably one of my like. If I had to do a top five of actors that I absolutely like, beloved, Chris Pratt's like top two or three. I think he's funny. I think he's charming. Uh, I think he's humble. Uh, you know what I mean? He, he's just. I, I don't know what it is about him. He just has a very relatable like, like, wor- like. <sighs> blue collar sense of humor, if that makes sense. So like stuff you'd hear at like the workplace. Um, just, just like that, like water cooler joker type thing. I think he's, I, I think he's funny and I don't know why a lot of people kind of haven't like, uh, I don't know why he fell out of favor with certain people. Uh, I'm not really sure what that's about, but I love Chris Pratt. I love, I love what he brings to the table. He brought a new life to, um, you know, he brought a life to like star Lord and, and for Marvel. And then like, just because of that, I went back and watched like, I because of that I went back and watched all the parks and like parks and rec and discovered it and I was like oh my god he's so funny and his weight loss story is like really inspirational he's just a uh, he's a he's a fantastic dude in my opinion so um, yeah I Chris Pratt would definitely be one I feel like we can sit here and just have a like nice jokey conversation like I do with any just about any other guest who comes on my shows I think his character of Andy on Parks and Rec is one of the top um, just internet or not um, not internet, but TV characters of all time. Agreed. Uh, still to this day, 
my kids have watched it with me. We talk about having shoe shine head. So we don't know whether we should have a cheeseburger, have a cup of coffee or take a nap on the floor. But uh, I feel when it comes to park and rec, it is a Beatles Rolling Stone things when come to what kind of character you like. Are you uh, are you Ron Swanson or are you an Andy Dwyer? Which right. one do you prefer better? Because I feel those are the top two characters on that show. Oh, for sure. For sure. They, they stand out the most. They're constantly referenced uh, with a lot of things. So, yeah, I, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that Chris Pratt could do wrong in my eyes. He's just, uh, yeah, I just like his sense of his, his blend of humor and seriousness. And I think he's like, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I will never forget. Like the first time I laid my eyes on him was Guardians of the Galaxy. I was going through a real rough time uh, with my life. Like it was the first summer that I was dating my now wife and it was just tough. We weren't like, things weren't great. I was working two jobs cause I want to get in the electrician's union. So I was only getting like three, four hours of sleep a day for two months. I was mowing lawns in the morning and I was do, doing electrical work overnights and uh, it was hard on me. It was very difficult. Uh, but one weekend I almost overslept it too. Me and the cousins were just like, you know what? We're going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy at the drive-in. And I'm like, oh, this is okay. This is interesting. And then he start, they, he starts doing the, you know, the, he puts the headphones on when they're on Morag, when he's going to get the Power Stone, and he starts dancing. And I'm like, oh, like the, all my, like, cares in the world just kind of went away. They all just went away. And it was just so funny, so charming. I, I think it was, like, for me, it was, like, right actor at right time. And obviously, you know, I'll probably never, ever get to speak to him, but he's like one of those guys who I want to know, like how much of an influence and impact he had in my life. Like it was a bad time, bad, bad, bad time in my life. Uh, very exhaustive time, but like that, just, just him being star Lord at that point in my life was like, it's, it was, it was good. It saved me in a way. So Chris Pratt, number six. That's awesome. I love Chris Pratt. That yeah. Star Lord character was absolutely amazing. A character who they, just nobody like he was so boring. He was boring in the in the comics, and and he brought a brand new life. And just now, everybody wants something to do with Star Lord. Even at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy, when he knew he couldn't win, and he was just starting to do a dance off with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just sit there, and there's times where I just I sit and watch it, and I think about where I was mentally at that point, and I start to tear up a little bit. I do. I'm not, I'm not afraid to deny it. You just kind of sit there and it's just like, wow, there's so much charm, you know, all this bad stuff, like all this bad. If you really think about it, if you break it down, that first Guardians of the movie, all this bad stuff around him, right? This guy is Ronan, the accuser. He has the power stone. He's going to blow up Xandar and he still found a way to have fun and get the job done. Smile, dance off, bro. And like, it just like, it's like, yeah, things are bad, but you know, just smile, just smile and everything will be okay. And, uh, and he did. So I, I will never forget Chris Pratt for that. Never, ever in a million years. That's awesome. Here's you talk about something that you, you hold near and dear to your heart. Here's something I hold near and dear to my heart. My number five is I would like to interview the Mattel team, uh, Paul Cleveland, Roger Sweet, uh, Mark Taylor, I know I'm probably missing a couple. The the guys that created He Man. Uh, oh, okay. That is probably it's not my favorite toy line, but if you think about it, 
G.I. Joe is so centered, it's it's military. Yeah. Uh, uh, Transformers is awesome, but it's it's just robots, robots, cars, and stuff like that. Here's He-Man. And you could take swords and lasers and robots and robot horses and magic and everything crazy that would kind of swirl around in a little kid's head. And they were like, right here for you. These are your masters of the universe. And it was weird that I didn't realize how much He-Man kind of meant to me until uh, one Christmas Eve trying to get the kids to settle down and watching the toys that made us and they got to the he-man one and they started talking about he-man and and everything else and it just realized how much that toy line meant to me and how much fun it was to sit there and play with the different play sets and the different vehicles and the imagination behind it it wasn't just one set of here's robots these are robots go play with robots they transform no, here's a here's a robot, but here's a guy that's also a bee, and he's got a cool name. His name is Buzz Off, and <laughs> here's a guy that rams things. And this is Ram Man and Mechanic and Extendor and Stinkor and you know Snowspout and all these guys that are just so different, so unique, but yet they're all in the same universe. Is something I think a lot of I think when you're a little kid you you all need that because i know i mixed and mingled my toys but with he-man it was like just you mix and mingle toys and said let's see how this works within the world of the masters of the universe and eternia yeah yeah that's a really that's that's a really good one there were a lot of characters to that that's i mean that's more so my dad's era I did have my own version of He-Man, which we have talked about, but it just, from what I understand, it just wasn't the same. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I see why it's such a huge, you know, aspect of of your life, your childhood, and you just recently bought a Castle Castle Grayskull. Yeah. Um, you know, you found a de- a decently priced one. I found one still in the box for like two hundred fifty bucks or something like that. Um, but you know, I I see why. I, I definitely see why. You know, it it was it was whimsical. It was it it pushed it. You could do anything in the world of He Man. Yes. And I think it's a you know, it was a good thing for kids' imaginations to kind of to have that, you know, back then in that t- time period. So I I think that's a great idea. And it's it's you know they constantly come back to it. They mm-hmm. constantly come back to it every single like couple years. Oh, excuse me. Oh, I apologize. Um, yeah, every couple of years they try to reboot it and try to get something going again and you know and, and make it interesting, whether it's comics, you know, I'd like to see a live action movie at some point. But um not the original one. <laughs> not the original one, no. Um but yeah, just just bring that to life because I think there's still a lot more to it, and I think it's a really cool uh it's just, just a cool property. It really is. All right. Moving on, we're in the top half now. Oh, we were in the top half of that last choice, even though we didn't announce it was number five. It was number five. My number five is the voice of a generation. One of the greatest actors and live, you know, live actors and voice actors of all time. Uh, I am referring to Mr. James Earl Jones. Uh, What a life. What a legacy! Not only on some of my, you know, my favorite property, Star Wars, 
Uh, he's voiced Lion King, you know, coming. He was in Coming to America and he was in the Sandlot and, and all the like my like the 90s were like. And it's weird to think that, you know, James was what you probably 50s or 60s then. And he was, you know, he was a part of that. He was in like. I'm trying to think of an actor like today that just happens to be like the I'm not going to say the rock because that's just annoying. But um, (laughs) but there's like certain actors like, you know, you get these like older, like wise person role, like a Morgan Freeman, like a Morgan Freeman, uh, you know, type thing where he just pops up and everything. He's this like big, like big, like larger than life kind of figure in a way. And that was who James Earl Jones was for me for the longest time. Uh, you pop up in everything and his, his, his voice is just, it's soothing. Right. It, does that make sense? Like it's relaxing. You hear him talk. Like there's certain people you can hear just talk all the time. And James Earl Jones is one of those people. And he's classically trained in, in, in Broadway theater and, and all that stuff. And he's, he's been active in Hollywood in Hollywood or acting in some form or fashion since the 1950s. And, you know, grew up in a very, very difficult time in America, was born just after or around the time of the Great Depression. And, you know, a, a lot of stuff happened through and through uh, in his life, in his upbringing. And it's really, really cool to see, you know, again, another rags to riches story. And I mean, he's so just well articulate. You could probably talk if you were if he really wanted to, you could probably chat with him for hours. You could. You, you probably could. And I just sit there with my hands on my face like this, like a kid, like a kid laying down on the grass and just hands on hand, like fisted fists with the hand on the cheeks and just listen to him. Just talk. I, I, I would be, um, it'd be cool. I love to just discuss his career, discuss, you know, and I'm sure he's done this at nauseum, you know, with many other people more famous than I will ever be. But, um, but yeah, there's just, you know, there's just a certain charm about James Earl Jones and, um, you know, he's getting up there. He's 90 years old right now. And it's like, it's like, you know, I hope this dude lives to be 200. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of one of those th- things where if it goes away, when it, when the time comes for him to go away, it's going to be depressing. So. I think the best thing with James Earl Jones is when he was on the big bang theory. I know a lot of people like it. A lot of people hate it. But I think if you're a Star Wars fan, you would appreciate the episode where Sheldon goes and he finds him in the restaurant. And Sheldon's just staring at him. <clears throat> and he's looking at it and he and James Earl Jones has this look of disgust. And you're like, he's gonna, he's gonna get pissed. And he looked at Sheldon, he's like, Do you like Star Wars? And Sheldon just shakes his head, yes. And he goes, Well, who doesn't sit down? And he goes, <laughs> he just hangs out with James Earl Jones the whole entire day. Yeah. Uh, they pull pranks on Carrie Fisher, <laughs> you know, Princess Leia, and she knows it's him. And they get a, it, it just shows you that he, how much fun he is as well. Yeah. So yeah. He never took him, he's not one of those guys who took himself too seriously. I think. No. Now when he's stuck, you know, like a stuck up actor, just kind of went with the flow. And I think like, yeah, it, 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 his, I, 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 I love James Earl Jones is a fantastic human being, fantastic human being. Never hear anything bad about him. Never, never, ever, ever. So yeah, that's my number five. My number four is uh, going back to the world of wrestling and 
oddly enough, they have some small ties to the city of Niagara Falls. And uh, I don't think too many people have heard them, heard of them unless you're into wrestling or, you know, news back in the eighties. And that's the Von Eriks. I would love mm, okay. to sit down, you know, talk to all the Von Eriks, even the ones that are no longer with us. David, Chris, Mike, Carrie, who am I missing? Uh, Fitz. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge family, huge family uh, of the Von Eriks. Just all the Von Eriks. There's only like one left, I think, right? A lot Kevin. of them, a lot of them, Kevin. A lot of them, unfortunately, suicide, I think, right? Maybe a couple accidents or I think there's been a lot, quite a few suicides in that family. There was the older brother, Jackie, who died when he was six from electrocution. Jesus. Uh, then David passed away from an intestinal problem with a lot of conspiracy theories say that it was drugs and Bruiser Brody flushed him down the toilet. Some people say, no, he just died from an intestinal problem uh who else then it was mike that took his life then chris and then carrie took his own life and then kevin's left they are the the kennedys like what the, what the like jfk and that whole family is to politics the oh. the, the era the von eric started pro wrestling but if you watch the old, what is that, world-class championship wrestling stuff, absolutely amazing. Each one brought, like, their own. Uh, well, the main the main three, uh, Mike and Chris weren't really cut out due to, like, physical limitations. But if you watch the main three, David Carey and Kevin, absolutely amazing. Yeah. You know, Kevin yeah. wrestled barefoot. David was so great. And then Carey, I didn't even realize he was Von Eric. Because I loved the Texas Tornado as a kid when he was in when he was in the WWF, and I didn't realize that was Kerry Von Erich until I got older. So it made it even more interesting. But just the story of this this arise, and you're like the biggest thing in the city of Dallas. I think they could almost rival the Cowboys at this time. Oh yeah, and then all of a sudden it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. It's, I think it would be fun to get into different things with them. Oh, for sure. They're wrestling. I mean, they were legit. They were like the first, really, really the first family. They were one of the biggest family. I mean, yeah, the Hart family, but I don't, I think the Von Erics were a bigger deal before the Hart family, top to bottom. I could be mistaken. I could be mistaken, but there was, I mean, the whole, there was a region literally dedicated to her, to, you know, that, that yeah. cherished them down there in the south like that the, in the old uh territory days the von erics ruled the down, down south they ruled it they were over like rover they were crazy popular it's uh you know you'd get a lot of fun stories i think out of talking to the von erics that whole family you really truly would and that's a good one i, I knew you they i knew you appreciated them but i didn't realize how much you you, you appreciated I, that whole legacy i am a von eric fanboy with out any shadow of a doubt i have no idea why um i just find the story interesting amazing and it's it's so great and so tragic at the same time yeah no it is it's one of those beautiful disaster 
kind of things. So very, very, you know, very, very unfortunate, very, very unfortunate. But, you know, it, it just like you said, just a very popular um, family in the world of pro wrestling. Huge impact too. huge impact. Um, all right. So my number four. This is my last Star Wars guy, I swear. All right. Actually, you know what? I'm going to make it a tie. I'm going to make it a tie because these two have been the face of the new Star Wars franchise since Disney took over it. Uh, Dave Filoni and John uh, Favreau. All right. Uh, When Disney bought Star Wars from George Lucas, when Disney bought Star Wars from uh, George Lucas, uh, there's a lot of questions in the air. What what is Disney going to do with our Star Wars, with this beloved Star Wars franchise? Uh, For a long time, it wasn't good. Under the under the, I guess, guise the of uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who, well, I don't think she's a terrible person. Uh, she almost killed Star Wars for a lot of people. All right, just to, I think she she did it in spite of Star Wars fans. I don't know it, I, when you have a, a a fan base that's dedicated to Star Wars fans, you don't try to do stuff to piss them off because they've been buying the comics and toys. For the longest time oh we had no source material to do the sequel trilogy with uh you literally called it all legends and d- deemed it non-canon um but dave filoni and john favreau uh is it favreau or farva i think it's favreau 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 uh these these two have like really like they understand the star wars fan side of all this stuff like like they get what it's like to be a star wars fan and 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 like love what George Lucas created, love the world, understand it to a T what George Lucas created. And they're doing a good job. I think that Dave Filoni and Favreau should be in charge. I think they're supposed to be going forward. Uh, Filoni's played a big part in a lot of the animated stuff. Favreau, I think directed, or he had a lot of influence with the Mandalorian. Um, But you listen to these, these, guys talk like Dave Filoni once had a wonderful explanation for duel of the fates. Um, you know what the name duel of the fates, which is the episode one battle between Obi-Wan Qui-Gon and Darth Maul, what that like meant, like the deeper meaning of it. And that, you know, it was, uh, this battle would decide Anakin's, I guess, future Anakin's legacy, um, so to speak in, in the star Wars timeline. So like he, he's like, if you go listen, to Dave Filoni talk star Wars, John Favreau talk about star Wars, they get the fan part of it. They don't just don't look at it like, hey, it has the name Star Wars attached to it. Let's go make a uh, whatever a billion bucks or let's just let's go throw some crap together and, and throw the Star Wars name on it and just make money off of it. They never did that. They've, they've done a very good job of storytelling uh, and reinvigorating, I think, the love of it. Listen, if Filoni and Favreau had anything to do, you know, if they were put in charge, given some creative um Inputs like serious creative input into the sequel trilogy would have been a million times better. Would have been a million times better. But right now, right now, Star Wars is doing very well for itself. Um, they're coming around post post sequel trilogy. They're coming around with the TV shows. The cartoons are doing really well uh, and merchandise is getting better as well. So there's just legitimate interest in Star Wars lore again. And it's it's going it goes beyond uh, what a lot of people goes beyond just 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 Jedi's and Sith's. And I think it's a really good thing. So uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, 
I'd love to have a sit down and just talk, just talk Star Wars with them. I would love to. Can they redo the Endor movies? Yeah, right. <laughs> can, they the, can they redo the holiday special? The, oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, those Endor movies were. They yeah, used to look I haven't seen them yet. I haven't. Oh. Heard, I haven't heard anything good about them. But yeah, you used to get so excited as a kid when you would see them on TV. They wouldn't like advertise them all of a sudden. It would be like Saturday and you're flipping through the channels. And you're like, oh, return to Endor. And you're like, watch it. <laughs> you're like, do I really want to watch Ewoks? Yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's that. That's that's my number four. I, you are right. I would like if they just it, go make that stuff. Legends. <laughs> Don't yeah. take away all these books and stuff that I spent hundreds of dollars on as a kid. All these toys. Like we talk about this on the panel discussion all the time about like my one friend is like, yeah, bought all the books. I have, I have a whole row of books here from, from that era, but he bought way more than I did. He bought all the comic books and he goes, now you're telling me they didn't matter. All these famous characters like Mara, Mara Jade and, and all these characters, they just never existed. I mean, I know it's fiction, but poof, it's gone. Get out of here. Didn't they invest a lot of money too into the whole shadows of the empire thing? I got, yeah, behind me, behind me, I got the toys. My one friend found them at uh, an 80s toy shop here in, in, in literally a minute down the road from, from the store or from our podcast studio. I got the clone Emperor Palpatine. I got the dark, the, 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 do I have the, I don't know if I have the Luke. Do I have the Luke? I think I have the Luke. I have Leia. No, I got Leia, Mara Jade, and, and clone Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, there was a huge storyline back in the day. That drew a lot. That was like a big business for Dark Horse Comics. So I digress, but yeah, they just pissed it all away and be like, oh, we got to make new stuff because we're Disney. Damn you, Disney. I know. Love hate relationship. Love hate. You're up there with Hasbro. You're up there with Hasbro. That's all I got to (laughs) say. So, all right. uh, Number three, number three, kind of another out with the old and with the new type of deal is I would like to interview Lou Scheimer. Lou Scheimer was the owner and producer for Filmation. And if you are a child that grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you know about Filmation. Um, it ties in once again with He-Man. <laughs> in that, I'm looking up now. Okay. In that aspect, you know, Lou Scheimer um, did produce the fat, uh, Filmation did like Fat Albert and the Cobsby Kids. Um, uh, the last one, the last big one was Brave Star, you know, Black Star. The, he put, he was the reason why the Ghostbusters had to be the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> because oh, he's he gonna, was. Look at this legacy. Holy crap. Huge. Huge I, I'm looking at his Andy Wikipedia. And he did voiceovers. I'm looking at his voice work, and I'm very impressed by it. Um, oh, man. New Adventures of Gilligan, Batmite, uh, Clayface on the New Adventures of Batman, uh, Tarzan and the Super Sevens, Mighty Mouse, uh, Tomcat, Jerry Mouse. Oh, Tom and Jerry. Um, Star Trek, uh, the he animated did, series. He did a lot. Of, yeah, he did a lot of stuff for Tom and Jerry. A lot of stuff. 
Sport Billy, Flash, The New Adventures of Flash Gordon. He was Gremlin. Yeah, this is a very good resume. <laughs> very good resume. Yeah, know what he's produced and what it meant and everything else. I was watching YouTube and somebody got it. So they had the Filmation graphic, but it rolled out with their name instead of Filmation. And it was just like, it was just super, super awesome. But I would love to sit down and talk to Lou Scheimer and uh, how he did things, how he created. I know they were big into what Disney was with rotosculpting, where you watch film of somebody's movement to try and make everything as fluent as possible. Yeah. And everything else. And uh, just everything behind him, the business aspect, how he... He, I mean, he lasted almost what, almost four decades. As and he kind of just died out as it was getting more advanced into animation. When he's still hand drawing, you know, a group of animators that are hand drawing and then flipping, hand drawing and then flipping, you know, making sure everything's perfect. And he's almost like the father of the Saturday morning cartoon, also with everything that he's done. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I would love to sit down and talk to Lou Scheimer. No, I'd say so. R.I.P. R.I.P. But that would be a sweet interview. Animation's always, like, fascinated me. Yeah. Animation's always fascinated me. uh, You know, I always wondered how it happens, how it works. Like, I've seen stuff. I think I've seen stuff. And it's, like, it's, it's really, truly amazing what, you know, these, these guys with these girls, uh, what they do and presenting animation and how to animate stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't even have an idea of it. Like, I don't even have an, like, there's certain things in life that I like, I don't fully understand, but I have a, a concept of why they work the way that they work. But animation has always escaped me. Animation has always escaped me. So I would love to see, um, I would love that. I, I would love it, it. Even just talk to any, you know, cartoon uh, animator. I think that would be the coolest thing. But this Lou Scheimer dude, he had a, he had a very cool resume and a very, very cool life. Uh, my number three is <laughs> Andrew probably knows what I'm going, might know where I'm going with this, but um, to our listeners, actually, we just mentioned him last week on last week's episode. So what happened last week was, uh, I talked with my cousin. We we, introduced, we met each other by knowing my great uncle Pat. All right, my great uncle Pat is one of these underrated human, you know, just pop culture gems that nobody talks about. Has like a little bit of a cult following. Uh, I'm not going to say too much on him because I've said a lot about him in past episodes. Um, but his work speaks for itself. His work speaks for itself. Ninja Turtles, Mortal Kombat, Karate Kid, uh, and and couple i mean punisher war zone was one of his recent you know i'll read off his imdb let's do that because he's like a part of my childhood that i didn't even know correct and a part of a lot of people's all right um but i I mean i'm he's still alive but he has dementia and i I just he has a facebook but somebody else runs it so i'll never i'll never be able to get that interview but i mean what a great like how perfect would that would have been if I got to sit there and just chat with my great uncle who I've only known, like met a handful of times, um, you know, to, to, you know, chat with him and learn about his stuff. 
All right. Punisher Warzone, I think was his most recent film. Uh, Wheelman, Green Street Hooligans, La Femme Musketeer, Detonator, Johnny Flinton, Scorcher, Project Viper, They Crawl, Militia. He was a stunt coordinator. He did stunts for Wild Wild West with uh, Will Smith. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, they brought him in towards the end because of how bad it was. Uh, Batman and Robin, the first Mortal Kombat. He did the next Karate Kid. And this is an inverse order, by the way, listeners. Next Karate Kid, TMNT3, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1992, uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo, TMNT2, The Secret of the Use, the first TMNT, Karate Kid Part 3. Uh, let's see some other stuff. Cat Squad, Python Wolf, uh, another Cat Squad. So these are TV movies. Karate Kid Part 2, To Live and Die in L.A., The Last Ninja, Force 5, Battle Creek Brawl, The Hunter, Missile X, uh, Good Guys Were Black, Hot Potato, The Alternate Warrior. And I think it was a, that was a Chuck Norris film, I think. Is it? Because didn't he train with Chuck Norris? He did. He did know Chuck Norris. He actually, Chuck Norris was the reason why he moved out to, uh, um, Chuck Norris was the reason he moved out to California. He was born and raised in Niagara Falls. He met Chuck Norris in Korea. They trained under a uh, South Korean uh, you know, martial arts guy, and then they ended up meeting together, and they were they were good friends. Um, Black Belt Jones, and he was actually Enter the Dragon. He wasn't credited uh, for stunts, but he was a part of it, and he did act in that movie. Um, let's see. But, yeah, his name was, uh, he was a hood uh, in Enter the Dragon. The Doe Roper. Show me the Doe Roper. Or it's the Doe Roper, something like that. I would love to sit and just talk with my uncle about that. And uh, just hear his just life experiences because it's been my dad's side of the family, which he's my great uncle on. There's a lot of like hardworking, like artists, like it's really cool. And like, I, 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 I feel like I'm a part of that, but like not quite yet. All right. So he's the big one. He moved out to Hollywood, went to California. Then, you know, I have a I have a cousin on that side who's actually a Nashville recording artist. Um Another one of my cousins owns a uh, a few. It's called Rockburger out here in what in Niagara Falls, Western New York, where they make stuffed burgers. Uh, my cousin Nick, who he's a he well he was for the longest time. He's a five star chef. He was trying to get his own restaurant going, and uh, and and all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of very talented. I might have overlooked somebody, but there's a lot of very talented people on my dad's side of the family. Like, as far as being. Uh, you know, being a little bit bigger, not just having a normal nine to five job. And that's, that's what I want to be with. That's the, that's the kind of stuff that I'd like to be a part of. And I hope someday that I can, you know, I can say that I am, but man, if I, if I had lived half the life that my uncle Pat did be amazed, be amazed, but unfortunately I'll never get that interview. So, but yeah, uh, that is my number three. Yeah. I have actually stuck up for your uncle Pat when uh, people have made references about the uh, karate kid that it was a <laughs> little kick to the face. They say, I, I know the uh, great nephew of the referee and yeah. I, I think I got a good grasp on the family and I don't think they would make that mistake. So. <laughs> yeah. I have a picture of him with, uh, I don't know why we have all these pictures, but when I was a kid, he gave me an autograph. It, it, I don't know what my parents misplaced and I'm furious. I like really want to find this thing. 
He sent me a picture, my dad, a picture for me when I was born of him with all the Ninja Turtles from the 90s Ninja Turtles movies unmasked, autographed. All right. This is going to be something I'm going to be, I'm going to like one of these days, I'm going to look seriously for because like it was meant for me. And I have that. I have a picture. I have a random, like, just like, you know how like five by seven photo that like somebody developed. I have a picture with him and Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. That's amazing. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. It's him standing with him. Um, just like casual, like on set that he had an Instagram or no, did he, no, his, his Facebook page is like littered with stuff. He took uh, pictures with Robin Shaw, who is Luke Kang for the Mortal Kombat. Like he has pictures of that on his social media. Like it's, oh, it's so cool. Like I'm so jealous, so jealous That's of his lie. life. And he That's was, he was very good friends with Bruce Lee. Very, very good friends with Bruce Lee. Yeah. So, I mean, he honestly should be my number one. I think the only reason why it's not number one is because I know I'll never get that interview. But, man, it's, it's, yeah. I'm going to find this picture. I'm going to find this picture. But I'll go into my number two. My number two is a very interesting sports figure. We've talked about him on the Sports Network show, pretty much me and Johnny. Yeah. (laughs) I've gone into him in some extent, and that's Bill Russell. I think in today's NBA of the me, 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 uh, you know, championships matter if you're a great player. Bill Russell is always overlooked with his 11 NBA championships, uh, I believe one or two as a head coach, first uh, black head coach in NBA history. If I'm, if I stand corrected, uh, let, if I'm not, let me know a man that turned around a franchise all because Rochester got the ice capades. <laughs> um, well, that is a cool picture, isn't it? Yeah. I just have that sitting around somewhere at my parents' house. Just chilling. And that's, you got to find these. Those need to be put up. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I probably should put them up in the studio, huh? Yeah, definitely. Actually, don't, because I once brought in my autograph picture of Pee Wee Herman for uh, student of the month, and then somebody stole it. Uh, so still bitter about that from yeah, first grade. Well, hopefully hopefully people around here, are, you know, oh, we do have some children around here, but not Very literal weird. children, but practical children. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Bill Russell not only is love in NBA championships, two NCAA titles, he's a gold medalist. He's a very different type of athlete from what, what I've gathered and what I've watched on him. He is not a guy that's going to sign an autograph for you. And I find this so interesting. And a lot of people I think would, would be off by this. If you saw Bill Russell out in public and said, Mr. Russell, can I have your autograph? He would say no. Because he would rather sit down and he would rather talk to you. Right. He would, you know, if he's in a restaurant, he would rather have a cup of coffee with you and talk to you. He Instead feels that would sign something pushing you away. Right. Yeah. He feels that would be more meaningful. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, I know we don't want to get political, but there's other things with him. He's a civil rights activist. He worked with Jim Brown. Uh, he, it just an amazing life he led. His daughter said he was a very unique father. He said he wanted to 
be able to talk to his daughter, but he didn't want to talk about the little things. So he asked her if she could start reading the newspaper so they could start talking about current events together. Oh, that's and cool. It's he's just a very unique lost NBA gem in the worlds of the LeBron Jordan debate and all that other wackiness that is happening in the NBA with these newer players. Once again, we are losing this gem of an athlete in Bill Russell. I know he has like the NBA finals MVP trophy named after him, but I think you could put a name on a trophy, but I think you need to know the meaning behind the name and Bill Russell is would just be a great interview from all aspects from, you know, intelligence, uh, sports. He wrote a great book about fundamentals of leadership, which have kind of helped me where there's a difference between hearing somebody and listening to somebody, I think was the biggest one I got out of it. Yeah. We can all hear, we can all hear people, but do we truly listen to what they're saying? And I would want to interview Bill Russell. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a really good one. Yeah. Russell's a legend. Russell's an absolute legend. Um, lived a really cool life, lived a really cool life. That would be, I, I appreciate that, that he's not just like, here, I'm going to sign this for you and just be on your way. It's, Hey, you know, I want to talk with you. I want to get to know you and give you a lasting memory. I like that. That, that goes so far. That goes so, that goes so far. You'd probably, I mean, by the sounds of it, he probably, you know, that probably like that means more. It just it just means more. I'm one of those people who I, I want your time and effort, time and energy more so than I want like material possessions. And Bill Russell would be like that sounds like a kind of guy that I I get along very much with. Um, yeah, I. I, I just, oh, sorry. No, you're good. I, Go ahead. I definitely agree with that because. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I've probably told this story before on like the boy conversation and stuff of that nature. When I was a kid, first preseason game, Bills, Bengals, 1988, trying to get autographs. Guys just come by, grab the notebook, scribble. Fred Smurless came by, sat down with my brother and I, and just talked to us for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I don't even know what we talked about, but that to this day means more than me. More to me than a guy like Jim Kelly or Bruce Smith just grabbing my notebook and scribbling his name and on its way. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Fan interaction goes a long way. You know, even as small as what Andre Reid did with us, where he would sign autographs, he would talk to us and ask if we were going to pay his fines because he was going to be late because he was signing autographs. And he was <laughs> joking. He was joking, but that those are little stuff that goes a long way. And I think Bill Russell got the gist of that. Yeah. No, for sure. And that, that, that's, I mean, yeah, it's just so better. You just, you just want to know people, you know, the people care about you and it's cool when an athlete makes you feel special. So no doubt about it. All right. My number two is uh, he is the reason why I got into the world of uh, both amateur wrestling and pro wrestling. Uh, he is an Olympic gold medalist. And he won it with a broken freaking neck. I'm talking about Kurt Angle. Uh, intensity, intelligent. No, what is it? Integrity, intensity, intelligence. I think that the, the three eyes. That's the three eyes he, he stood for. Um, 
Kurt is like a, another major, major, major uh, influence in my, in my life in a lot of ways. Um, I know he, he went through some rough patches and stuff. He always overcame it. Uh, and I've also seen some of his interviews and stuff. He's not like, uh, like I watched his interview to show with Conrad uh, Thompson on uh, YouTube. He doesn't give a whole lot, but it, for me to just be able to sit down and just talk with him, even just talk about amateur wrestling and stuff, I think it would mean the world to me. Um, yeah, Kurt was like, I, I remember just being obsessed with Kurt Angle. Uh, when I started wrestling, I remember I bought a, uh, I had sit, I had not been involved. Like I had not watched wrestling in four years cause I just fell out of favor with it. And then, uh, I came, I, my dad got me uh SmackDown, just bring it, which was the 2001, uh, WWF game at the time. And I, I, and I was, I think I was wrestling then. I think it was like 2000. No, it could have been 2003. It was 2002, and I, I found Kurt Angle. I'm like, oh, this dude's pretty cool. He's a legit athlete. I, like, I'm following him along, and I just became obsessed. I came, like, I came into wrestling again when he was a baby face on SmackDown. He was battling Brock Lesnar all the time, and you know, he, getting into feuds with John Cena. And I'm just like, dude, this dude's awesome. He's so good, and he wrestled. He legitimately wrestled, and I was like, I'm in. I'm sold. Like I'm hundred percent sold. So Kurt Angle means a lot. Like means a lot to me um, as a, you know, him being an athlete, him being a former high school wrestler, a collegiate wrestler. I, I just adored him. And uh, you know, it was, it, it's, it was always, he's one of those people who I always wanted to, you know, just sit down and chat with and just talk shop with just talk shop. I, th- I think Kurt's, uh, like I said, Kurt's had a lot of personal demons. He's overcome a lot of personal demons. I love watching him on social media, by the way. Love watching him on uh, on social media, excuse me. But uh, yeah, he was, Kurt was, Kurt was something. He was funny. Especially that time period that I really came to like him too. He was just funny, but he also had a serious take to him as well. And I, I certainly, I, I appreciated what Kurt Angle meant to, you know, wrestling both high school and professionally. Kurt Angle is definitely one of those guys that didn't take him too seriously and adapted to what the fans were given to him. Yep. So this is a guy that even though everybody loves him to his theme music, as he walked out for his final match, which I think WWE, whatever it is, did him dirty on with phone. It was, but that's neither here or there when he's walking out and they're still chanting, you suck and he and but but they're embracing him but they're still doing it and he's embracing that that and he wants to hear that you suck you suck yeah and that's what makes kurt angle so great throughout every aspect and i didn't when i stopped watching wrestling that's when he started coming in so i don't think i got the good years of kurt angle but then i talked to people like your age like I know uh, Matt Santiago, who we had, who who's been on like the two boy conversation, raves about Kurt Angle. Like, oh yeah, just like you do. And what he means. And when he first did that to me, I was like, it's Kurt Angle, okay, <laughs> whatever. But then I, you know, when you go back and you look at his stuff and you start seeing things, you realize how special he was at that time period. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You just can't. It's one of those. You can't replicate what he did. Like it, it was just it was. It's, 
you know, Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Here's a serious, like Olympic gold athlete who, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, he's singing songs. He's being goofy. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, he did a very good job of being like that, that serious yet funny, serious yet funny guy kind of personality. And he did a very good job. So Kurt Angle, uh, officially number two. And I know a lot of other people have some good memories of Kurt too. So a lot of good matches. He's had a lot of very good wrestling matches. Yeah. He was, he was, like I said, he was definitely different. Didn't take himself too seriously. And I think that's where a lot of wrestlers fall when they start taking themselves too seriously. I know Stone Cold has mentioned, you know, the too seriousness of Stone Cold when it came to Brock and maybe he shouldn't have done what he did, but. Oh, he regrets it. I think he yeah. regrets it still for sure. So my number one, I'm pretty sure you already know who this is. Uh, yes, I do. It's Bill Parcells. Yep. I, I love Bill Parcells. One of my greatest things that we've done, speaking of interviews was with uh, Stephen Baker. And he told us stories about Bill Parcells and what he would say to him when, you know, he'd muff a punt and ask him if he wanted an aisle or a seat. And Stephen was like, I don't get it. He's like, well, I need to know when I book your plane ticket because you're going to be out of here. You keep on making, doing stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, What a motivator. What a motivator. What a, what a champion you know, head football coach in a journey too, as well from college ranks to the NFL, the NFL, his first, uh, like his first year as a head coach, I think like 83 or something, his parents both die six months apart from each other and things he had to overcome things that he learned, you know, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be friends with this guy. And then you see how hard he is on players. And then you hear players talk about, Oh, we call him every single day or every single, every single time on his birthday, we give him a call, you know, we say happy birthday to him, even though we probably hated him. Just an awesome, great guy. I'd love to sit down and talk about football with him. Talk about leadership, motivation. Uh, what he does. I know we talk about promos and wrestling, but what a great press conference. Oh yeah. Was too, you know, just sitting there when asking if he's about afraid of a team and he says, I'm uh, things I'm afraid of in this world are uh, spiders and the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) Those those are just things that I, he's just, he's just, I feel an awesome guy. Uh, Even though, Bill Belichick, you know, they say it's a weird relationship, but Belichick credits a lot of Parcells in what he did. You know, he said he would, Parcells would bring him in and say, I know you don't need to know this stuff, but I feel one day you're going to be a head coach. So this is what's going on and this is how I'm going to handle it. So I don't know if you're going to handle it different or anything like that, but just that constant breeding of good head coaches and yeah, his tree is uh he's yeah. got a pretty good coaching tree very good and coaching tree. every single team that he that he was the coach of has made the playoffs at least once franchise yeah franchise yep yeah which is you know that's significant jets 
Pats, Pats, Giants, Cowboys, uh, Cowboys. Cowboys. Yeah, that's true. That's Horrible. True. Darren Woodson says that team should have never done anything his first year, and there he is, <laughs> getting them, getting them pretty much into the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, we have we you talked extensively about uh, about Parcells often. We did an episode on him. I think when we first moved in here last year, uh, like March or April of 2020, we did an episode on him. I remember sitting at the, I remember sitting, we had our table over there. We, I was sitting, I was zooming you. And that's, uh, that was something we talked about. He read his poem that he liked to read to his player, uh, to his players to himself, but he, he had this, it was, he, it was to his players. He had this, he had a fantastic, uh, poem that he used. It was, you know, his influential in his life, this hard, this hard dude, this oh I I did I went there, uh, this hard nosed dude very tough guy, uh with a poem and people you know look at poetry a lot is you know it's just not manly or in some I I don't know why there's a stigma against poetry but um but he he would use it and he used his motivation to get to for his guys you know who 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 he reminds me of a little bit who, um well looks and I guess the like he reminds me of Bobby the Brain Heenan. A little bit, I think, like a look from a looks category, and I think like a smarts category. I, I I think just just getting the. I mean, I obviously know pro wrestling is pro wrestling, but um, you might they just remind me a lot of each other. Just some of the things that they would say, some of the quips, um, amongst many other things. That I, I feel like that they're very similar um, personalities. I think they are. Yeah, um, at, at least Curse. Bobby's on TV, you know, character. Curtis Martin can't say enough about Bill Parcells and what he's done for him and everything else. So, no, that's that's for sure. A lot of good players. You know, a lot of players have uh, have a lot of good things to say about him. So, um, all right, my last one. Andrew probably knows who this is. Um, he's long been one of my favorites, favorite NFL players of all time for I guess probably probably for the last half decade last five years you know I've really taken a liking to him but I've never can say he's my favorite but um over the last couple of years it's really taken like hold and that would probably be uh Philip Rivers quarterback for the Colts and Chargers um I he's he was oh he's I, I don't even know why I, okay I think I do know why I like it just from a from a personality standpoint, I think he's hilarious. I think deep down, he's a good person. Yeah, uh, he's a master troll. <laughs> one of the state, one of the cleanest trash talkers I've ever met in my life. One of the cleanest trash talkers I've ever met in my life. Not, not met, but I, I don't know. I've always liked how you know. I I respect these guys who stay off social media. Um, you just kind of keep their no. You know, they never get in trouble. Um, you know what I mean? I, I highly doubt Philip Phil Rivers doesn't seem like a guy who 10 years from now is going to be uh, getting canceled, cultured or anything like that. Um, I, I in fact, with Phil, I within the next couple of weeks, I will have five Philip Rivers jerseys. I will own five Philip Rivers jerseys. Uh, I have his Colts home one. I, ha- I actually have two Colts home ones. One of them's autographed by Phil. I have his Chargers jersey hanging up, his powder blue, and uh, I ordered his away Colts jersey and his away Chargers jersey with the white, blue, and yellow. 
So I have those on the way and I'm very excited to, to have that. Uh, Phil is definitely number one. Like, like I've been spoiled as a Colts fan. I've had a lot of great quarterbacks, you know, Peyton Manning, uh, you know, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Johnny Unitas, stuff like that. I lived through the Peyton Manning era and, you know, I, I think back and he's just like, he was never like this. Uh, I think you and I talked about, he was never like this flashy guy. He was so good. He was the sheriff. You know, he got, he just got stuff done where I feel like there's more iconic moments with Philip rivers, the touchdown celebrations, the trash talk, the, the, the first down and the playoffs against Baltimore when he, he, he took off and he ran for 10 yards and holds the ball, looks, looks forward, looks back, looks forward and points. Like such a goofy dude. He's like that drunk uncle. He was probably, I don't know. I don't even know if he drinks at all. I, 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 I don't know if he does, but he's like that drunk uncle at parties. He's just a goofball all the time. And I think like, he's just such a fun personality. Like, and, and I can't say that enough. Like I, I really do admire him. I'm trying to, anything that has Philip rivers on it, whether it be a card, I have a candle. <laughs> My brother got me as Philip rivers candle uh, for Christmas whether it's t-shirts, like I want toys. I want anything with Philip Rivers on it. That's my dude. And, uh, and yeah, I will, again, I don't know what made me fascinated with him like initially, but, uh, but yeah, what a great dude. What a fun dude. I'm like proud to say, like, there's people who I've joked about being my favorite players of all time, but there's no joking with Philip. Like that's gonna, that's gonna last a long time uh, for probably forever. Probably forever. So Philip Rivers, number one. I think he also made like <clears throat> excuse me, top eighty for NFL characters of all time. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And Sean Merriman talked about it, saying that he, he could never get him never get him to swear. He said he would talk all the trash in the world, but never, never once would would swear. Yep, it'd be shoot instead of Shit, yeah, dad gummit instead of God, you know. Um, there's a lot of Philip Rivers isms, and uh, they're all really cool. Like, he, like, if, if for our listeners who are just listening to this for the lifestyle stuff, like, yeah, go listen to him mic'd up. There's legit a video on YouTube for 40 minutes of him. I just listened to it back again the other day of him mic'd up, just talking on the field, and it's it's, it's funny. It's funny. He'll tell he'll tell defensive players that they're lined up in the wrong spot, and he was right. And like it was just it, it was oh, it's tremendous. It is tremendous stuff. So, Philip Rivers, my number one. But uh, but all right. So I know Andrew was just done a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but of course, I want to give him the opportunity to plug all of his shows, whatever he is a part of. Um, Andrew, this is your time to shine, bud. All right, so I am the host of Let's Talk But No Politics Okay. It is a podcast, like I said, where it's kind of like adulthood meets childhood in a way. We talk a lot about nostalgic topics, uh, a lot of pop culture stuff. I try and stay in a little bit of the realm of anywhere between 1980 to about 2005 with anything. Yep. That seems to be my my sweet spot and where I can actually remember things before I started having children, uh, like Philip rivers, <laughs> but not as many, not as many, not yeah, that, as many. That dude breeds like a Catholic rabbit. Yeah. I also do the two point conversation. Like I mentioned, I do NFL history, uh, tier, the, the tier game. I stop it on that one. Uh, what ifs 
pretty much and whatever else Matt needs me for. As he normally sends me a message going, can you do me a favor? And yeah. I'm right. <laughs> there, not all the time, but there's been sometimes. And I'm also a part of the, like I said, the network sports talk show with is a round table sports talk show where we talk about a topic. Yeah. But you can find those all on the BICBP radio network. So. Yes, you can. So Andrew, thanks so much for being a part of this, buddy. This is a really fun topic. Um, that we got to talk about today. We've done a lot of pop culture stuff. We've done toys, I think. I know we the, our first episode was breakfast cereals that you, yes. you did. Uh, we've also done uh, a couple weeks ago was video games. And then before that, we've done lottery. lottery. We did the lottery one. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, we've done a lot together on this show, and uh, it's been it's it's a lot of fun. Andrew is number one right now on all time appearances. So, but we keep bringing it back because he keeps coming. He keeps having really solid lists. So, um, but we'll close up shop here, listeners. We thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, we'll have, uh, I think, this upcoming week, Johnny Townsend. Uh, next week's episode will be feature Johnny Townsend, our friend from Retro Pop, uh, my co-host from Retro Pop, friend from History Creeps and Retro Bliss, and several other shows. Um, we're going to be doing our list of top 10 cryptids. We're going to the side of horror and, uh, and mystery a little bit for next week's episode. So thank you so much all for tuning in and in closing, as always, do you even list? Andrew Lens from the future, telling you that your dream is going to come true. What? No way! Yeah, you're going to have an awesome podcast called Let's Talk But No Politics, okay? And new episodes come out every Sunday on... Beyonce!